the eighth time we look at the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And this, in chapter 15, is a watershed event that deserves our attention. Be seated, please. Well, here we go again. You've heard that sentence, right? That expression. A lot of times it's made in disgust or in anger. Oh, here we go again. And here we go again in the book of Acts. And here we go again with the Gentile question. But it's important. It's necessary to consider even one more time. Part one of the issue has been made clear, but let's understand. The question was, is Jesus for the Jews alone or was he for the Gentiles? Well, quite frankly, the answer was always evident, but maybe not as evident as people understood. But even from the beginning, as God made his promise to bless to choose and to bless the Jewish people, it was to be a blessing to others. The Messiah, well, he came from the Jews and he came for the Jews, but he didn't come only for the Jews. The prophets gave witness to that. The wise men, remember shortly after Christmas Epiphany, they came from afar, they were Gentiles, recognizing Jesus as their newborn king. And it was also Cornelius and Peter who reflected on Jesus' ministry. But Cornelius made it plain, and the Holy Spirit made it plain not only to him, but to Peter once and for all, that the Gentiles, you and I, are included. Jesus is for you and for me, for everybody. But there's a second part to the issue. And that's where chapter 15 comes in. Gentile Christians are what they are, Christians. But then what do they have to do? What do we have to do to be a part of the church? Is there a qualification? Well, early on, as this was sorted through, you heard read a moment ago that some people believe from the heart that circumcision was necessary to be a Christian. Because, you see, circumcision was a sign of God's covenant. The promise he made first with Abram and then to be a sign, not only for him, but for each generation thereafter. A sign and a remembrance of his love for them. His love for them, which was a big deal. Not only his love, but the sign of his love. It was seen as a necessary thing to be a Christian. And there were a number of people, Jewish Christians, as they had become, who insisted upon this. And that's where, in just a few short words you heard, Saul, Paul, and Barnabas came into sharp dispute with the other Christians over this whole issue of, was it necessary to be circumcised? They raised some big questions, and they talked it through. Interestingly, actually, baptism became the replacement for circumcision. Read Colossians chapter 2, and Paul wrote to those Christians in the city of Colossae, and he said, baptism is now for us who are Christian, 
the circumcision made without hands. And that was put into perspective. And what was necessary? Well, it became very clear as this discussion unfolded. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are, the Gentiles, just as they are saved, the grace of God. That rings familiar to many ears here and to many Christians throughout the world. God's love without merit, without qualification, that's what makes us Christian. That's what makes us his people of the new covenant, God's grace it's the key. We need to understand this clearly. And if it sounds familiar, and even old hat, if you may label it that, it's always important to say, to understand. And you know, if people are asked, whether it's on the street or through surveys, it's shown again and again, objectively, what is necessary to go to heaven, what's necessary to be God's child. You know what repeatedly becomes the answer? Well, we've got to try as best we can. Keep the Ten Commandments. If not perfectly, at least we give it a good shot. That's what we have to do. And so it never grows old to be able to say and to know for certain what is at the core of being God's person. What's at the core of Christianity is grace. God's love. You don't have to earn it. It's given. And what's at the core is also faith. Faith that receives this gift of God. And it was said in this discussion as it unfolded in the 15th chapter that God purified their hearts through faith. That's what grace does. It purifies our hearts. And that's what faith does. It receives. It receives this gift of God and it hangs on tight by the Holy Spirit. It's a gift to be owned, and it is a gift, faith is, to be expressed. Then the question, is that it? Well, quite frankly, a lot of people stop there. If they get that far, they stop right there. Is that all there is? Well, no, that's not all there is. And those early believers followers of Jesus, they decided they better talk about this. And it was the 12 apostles and the elders, and you can see uh, an unfolding of organization among the Christians. The apostles and the elders called Christians together and said, we have to have a meeting. We need to talk and pray about this. The council meeting, Acts chapter 15. By the way, it's such a big event, and it's so overlooked. And they discussed the matter. They discussed what they must do to follow Jesus. At the heart was the question about circumcision. But if not circumcision, then what? What does it take for a Gentile to become a believer in the promise made to the Jewish people? Well, Peter had an answer. As the discussion unfolded, Peter said this. Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel 
and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. Peter said, look, the evidence is clear. They have received the Holy Spirit. That's what seals the deal, that the Spirit comes, that the Spirit makes us who we are as God's people. And it was more than that, because what beyond the Holy Spirit was pointed to, Paul and Barnabas said, look, there are a lot of experiences where the Gentiles, in coming to faith, also were shown miraculous signs and wonders. We saw them too. These were blessings of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the signs and wonders. Gift of the Holy Spirit, you know, we're baptized, aren't we? In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes to dwell within us. And the debate goes on, actually, as to whether not only does he come then, but does he come in a separate action? Well, that talk goes on. And the signs and wonders, pretty much the same thing. But we've got to understand that a lot of times when the Holy Spirit works, it's in very big, splashy, demonstrable kinds of ways. But it's also true that he works softly, quietly, and even under the radar, but he works nonetheless. God gave the Gentiles who were coming into the church evidence that they had received grace, shown in their faith. So they were in, you and I are in the very same way. But again comes the question, is that all there is? Or is there more? Is it that easy? But now, what do we have to do to get faith and become God's children? Well, nothing but grace that is not ours to give. But is there anything else? Well, nothing else to qualify us, but a lot that follows faith. A lot that Christians are called into a new life to be and to do. That's where the next question lies. Behavior. How shall we in Jesus Christ, how shall we by the power of the Holy Spirit live that new life we've received? That's where the discussion really centered and focused for those people in that first church council, the apostles, the elders, and representatives of the church, believers in Jesus. And here's what they came up with. James stood up among them. Remember James, the brother of our Lord, also a leader in the early Christian church. And he didn't just give his opinion, he brought things together from the discussion of everybody and from the evidence that had been presented. And he said this, no involvement with idols. You Gentiles, none of that. God is one and there is no rival. The idols that many worship, not for you. It's God and God alone. No sexual immorality. Chastity is what James said we agree upon is a distinctive element of living the new life in Jesus Christ. And then he also said, no eating of meat of strangled animals and no eating of food with blood. Those two being part of the Old Testament Jewish dietary laws. Those four things would give evidence, not earn, but give evidence 
of God's gift of grace through faith. But what about you? What about me? What about today? No food, sacrifice to idols? Well, I suppose in some ways we have that one pretty well down. I don't know that we have little idols sitting in our homes or on our dashboard or dangling from, dangling from our rearview mirror that we worship. No, but that's gross idolatry, easy to spot. But there's also the other kinds of idolatry that's not as easy to spot. You know, things that we pursue like fame, things that we pursue like money, things that we pursue again and again like power. Those are big deals. And we can see them in our lives when we do that self-examination. If we look at our schedules, if we look at our checkbook, if we look at the kinds of things that we do or maybe don't do, there can lie our greatest allegiance. And this call for Gentiles then is a call for us Gentiles as Christians to examine and to evaluate. It's easy to fall to the finer aspects of idolatry. The temptations are there all the time. And you know what happens is that little by little, we see from the outside things that are ungodly. And little by little, they begin to take root. They find a place so we become accustomed to them, even comfortable with them. And then as things go, all of a sudden, they may become part of our lives idolatry, not putting God first, but also chastity, not living an immoral life. That applies to us as well as living the new life in Jesus Christ. The New Testament clearly shows that. We are called to live distinctive lives, distinct from those who don't know God's love in Jesus, distinct from everybody else who lives according to their own thoughts, even to the point of calling evil good and twisting and turning God's words and his pathway to show our new life in Christ. In this regard, it's often easy not to be able to tell the difference between Christians and others. Do you realize that's not just a statement? That's an empirical fact. It's been shown time again and again in studies, in surveys, that when one looks at non-Christian behavior and Christian behavior, there's very little difference. Very little difference. The call to live distinctive lives, even in issues of sexuality and chastity, not just for young, but for all of us, those need to be held as God's design, as God's way to respond to his love. And then there's those numbers three and four about no meat to eat of strangled animals and no eating of food with blood in it. As I mentioned, those were part of the Jewish dietary laws. But those have come but those have gone. They are gone according to God's new covenants. Those were the old covenant restrictions and directives. But as Paul wrote to Colossians, not us. Therefore, he wrote, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink 
or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, celebration, or a Sabbath day. Listen, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The reality in Christ. He's the center of grace received by faith. He's the center of our behavior as he lives in us and we, by the power of the Spirit, can live in him. It's important. There's one more question at least in all of this. There was for these people gathered at the council in Acts chapter 15. The question is how? How did they come to these decisions? That's an important and worthwhile question, not only to ask, but to answer. And what is pointed out in verse 28 is so important. When they announced the decision, it was said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I love that phrase, even though I can't capture the total reality of it. You know, there's some dangers, it seems. Well, you know, not everything that seems really is. It seems as though the sun rises and the sun sets, right? But does it really? No, we know the earth turns. And what seems is often very individualistic. It's subjective. What, what seems to me, and it goes further, what seems to me to be good so often, too often, we measure good by ourselves rather than by God. And there's one more element. It, it seemed good not only to me, because there's danger still there, but it seemed good to us. That's why Christians are congregations, gathering together of people, because the Holy Spirit works in each, but in all of us together. And we can check each other. We can pray with each other and for each other. We can read God's word together and be led into truth with checks and balances, if you want to call it that. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. To the Holy Spirit, it seemed good that they came up with this answer. What happened, exactly how, not spelled out. But it is clear that it was the Holy Spirit at work. It may today be with signs and wonders. It is certainly in different parts of the world, maybe even among us. It certainly is by the giving of the Holy Spirit in one way or another, but the Spirit works. We may not experience him the way those people did then, but God's promise, Jesus' promise, is that we do, we will not only receive the Spirit, but be influenced by him. He always needs to be a part. Jesus came and did his work, and as today's gospel reading said, he promised that the Spirit would bring it home, that he would make it a part of our hearts and lives for sure. And I can't help but think at this point about us here at St. Michael and our, our, our biggest venture right now of securing a new senior pastor. Wouldn't it be great, isn't it great, to be able to say, as our conclusion, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to choose Pastor X, Y, or Z. You know, God's already chosen that man to be our next senior pastor. But, but seeing the call committee at work is heartening because they get it. 
not only that they are your representatives, but that they pray, that they search the scriptures, they do, that they talk to men of faith, all in the purpose of finding one whom God has already chosen. That's the spirit at work among us today. And that spirit is alive and well among us. You need to know that. And we need to be able to rejoice in that. So that when they come up with opportunities to choose, as we as a congregation come together to choose, that when that's all said and done, as we have sought power and the direction of the Spirit, we'll be able to say, it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit to call Pastor X or Pastor Y or Pastor Z. Spirit's at work. We trust he will continue to be at work. That's what this is all about. The Acts of the Apostles, the book, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, time and again. It was the Spirit working in God's people that helped them sort things out and to live their faith. And here's the value for us. This is exactly how we are able to do the very same thing and respond with faithful living, to look at the hard questions and to resolve them and to move forward. Our challenge, not only to let the Holy Spirit be a part of our decision-making, but then to respond and to act, to, to act in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.